you, Greg. Uh, well, I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. It's an honor to be with you this morning. Thank you for making your way here to GPC. And if you're watching online now or later, thank you for doing that as well. Um, it's always a, a great year for me. I don't know about you, but it's always a great year for me when the Olympics are on. Uh, it's been a weird year, Tokyo 2020. It's different in 2021. Right? Um, it is a little weird, but I've always enjoyed it. Uh, ever since I've been a kid growing up, I've loved to watch the Olympic Games, and maybe you're in that situation too. And one of the reasons I love it is that there's always great stories. If you listen and look for it, there's always great stories. And one of those great stories, and you may have seen this, maybe you missed it, I don't know, is this, this young lady named Heidelin Diaz, if I get her name right. Now, if you don't know her story briefly, she's from the country of the Philippines. Do you know when the last time was that the Philippines won a gold medal in the Olympics? Most of us weren't alive because it was 97 years ago. 97 years ago. Anyone alive 97 years ago? Don't raise your hand. You may not be able to raise your hand at this point if you are 97 years old or older. Can you imagine that, though, as a country? That the last time that as a country you could collectively hear your national anthem being played at the Olympics was never? <laughs> Right? It has never happened in your lifetime. And this is Heidelin Diaz, that moment when she lifted 200, well, let me get it right, 278 pounds, which is not bad, right? Not bad at all. 278 pounds in a very dramatic final showdown with the Chinese woman who just raised, lifted her personal best, Heidelin Diaz comes up, and she sets an Olympic record to take home the gold for the country of the Philippines. They're going crazy in the Philippines. She got immediately, I think, what translates to $660,000 gift from the country to her. They gave her two separate houses as well to have, and I think pretty much the rest of her life is set in the Philippines to bring that kind of honor back to the country of the Philippines. She grew up in poverty and she started lifting weights by using PVC pipes and concrete blocks. When people realized that she had a gift, they gave her a barbell, a basic dumbbell set. She wore it out. And then when she was getting ready for competitions, even for the Tokyo 2020 game, she was caught overseas in Peru for five months. She built her own gym using water bottles as weights. Isn't that crazy? to end up with something like this. Obviously, to get to that level, you have to be incredibly committed, and commitment is what I want to talk about this morning. And here's the way I think commitment works, and I think it's the way it worked for Heidelin Diaz, and it works this way, that first of all, we make our commitments, and then our commitments make us. Heidelin Diaz made the commitment to weightlifting, and now when we think of her, we're going to remember, if you know her story, you'll remember this moment, this will be kind of her legacy, that we make our commitments, and then our commitments make us. When we are committed to anything, not just at an Olympic level, but at an amateur level, whether it's in the business that we work in, or whether it's in school, or whether it's in the arts, or whether it's in our family commitments, or whatever it is, when we make our commitments, what ends up happening is that our commitments end up shaping us into the kind of person that we expect to be, which only makes sense, right? But what I want to talk about this morning is not just this principle when it comes to general commitment. I want to talk specifically about how we think about spiritual commitment in the same way. Because if we take this same principle and apply it to a spiritual desire to grow, it starts to get wonky and go sideways. But this is our only experience with commitment. Commitments, by the way, are necessary, right? Like our world requires that commitments be reinforced because the problem with commitments is that we know that we tend to break them. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Anyone who's ever 
<laughs> anyone who's ever been to the dentist, for example, like here's my story on the dentist, right? It's confession time. When I go to the dentist, like I anticipate that I should actually do the things that I should have been doing all year, but I don't do them all year until I get closer to come to the dentist. And then I'm like, maybe I should floss at least once, right? Before I go to the dentist office, because I don't keep that commitment. The problem with commitments is we regularly fail at making and ke at keeping commitments. We don't fail at making them. We just routinely fail at actually keeping them, right? Whether it's diet, exercise program, a new discipline, and whether it's a spiritual habit as well. Which is why in our world, we require reinforcement of commitments. Here's what I mean. If you were to go buy a house, you cannot walk up to the realtor and say, listen, I want to buy that house. Trust me, I'll pay for it. The bank will look at you and like, great, thanks for that. Sign 3,000 papers, right? and give blood and your first child, right, for the house, okay? Like, your commitment, your verbal commitment to just saying, listen, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it, I'll take care of it, that's not good enough. Same thing for renting an apartment, same thing for paying back your, I mean, paying your electric bill, your cell phone bill, there is a commitment that you have to be in, right? And so our world reinforces commitment by saying, thank you for making your commitment, but here's what we've experienced with humanity. We routinely fail at making payments, at keeping up, and so we need to reinforce and support it. My question for spiritual commitment is this. What reinforces spiritual commitment? Let's say you get to the point in your life, and maybe you're here this morning, and you're like, you know, I haven't been in church for a while, but I'm going to try this baby again and see what happens. I'm going to see if I can connect to God in some way because I'm feeling distant. Like, I, I don't know if my prayers are actually working or my parents said I should go to church or maybe, you know, someone said I should come because there's someone here that maybe I should be dating at some point in my future. I don't know what it is. But maybe you're saying, you know what, there's a time in my life where I've decided I want to take a step closer to God. I want to be more committed. Sometimes that comes after a failure. Sometimes that comes in the middle of an aha personal moment. But when you decide, when you're like, you know what, I need God in my life. I need to get closer to him in my life. I need a renewed and refreshed perspective of, is there a God and can he be close to me? And then you're like, you know what? I think there is a God and I want to be close to him. What reinforces spiritual commitment? Because if our commitments in our spiritual realm are anything like they are in the rest of our world, we often, if not routinely, fail to keep even our spiritual commitments. At least that's been my experience. In the world that we live in. I think this principle is true, that we make our commitments and then our commitments make us, but it is toxic to think of spiritual commitments this way. It will erode your heart. Here's what I wanna suggest, and I wanna take you then to a story in the Old Testament to support it and let you figure out if you think it's true as well. When it comes to spiritual commitments, here's what I think is true, that we make our commitments because God already committed to us. In the world of spiritual commitments, in the world of committing ourselves to God, moving toward him, growing in a discipline, caring more, praying more, reading more, serving more, giving more, caring more, loving more, in the world of a spiritual commitment, we make our commitments and it's not then that our commitments make us. That is not true in the spiritual realm. What is true is that we make our commitments because God already committed to us. And if we get this wrong, we will sign up for a life of moralism and legalism that will be demanding, in some places satisfying, because we will think that 
we ourselves have grown closer to God, but will ultimately erode our joy and suck the life out of us for the duty that it requires for us. So this morning, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture where I'm getting this and let you see if what, you, if what I see makes sense or works for you. So I want to take you to the book of Nehemiah in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible, that's not a problem. There's one in the chair near you. You can find Nehemiah by opening to the middle of your Bible and then backing up a couple chapters or pages, and you'll find Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 9 is where we're at in this series, and we're going to be into 9 and then into 10, chapter 9 and into chapter 10 this morning, as we look at this idea of spiritual commitments, what they mean, how they work, and how they can work the best for all of us going forward. And so I'm going to begin at chapter 9, verse 32, and again, read selected text, which I'll explain to you as we go along. All right, Nehemiah 9, 32, beginning there. By the way, sorry, before I begin, what's happening now in the context, in case you're just joining us, is that the group of people, Israelites, had been um, removed and separated from Jerusalem for 70 years. They came back Nehemiah, their governor, their leader, was given permission to help them rebuild the wall. The wall of Jerusalem has been rebuilt. Therefore, the city has protection and can be identified as a city. Their worship is being reestablished. And so they're coming back, reestablishing a national identity. And it's in this moment when the people, the leaders of the nation of Israel are like, we need to, we need to re-up our commitments. As we settle again as a people, we need to come back to what has founded and grounded us before, which is why they say what they say in verse 32. Now, therefore, O our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love, do not let all this hardship seem trifling in your eyes. The hardship that has come upon us, which is their history of exile and pain and punishment, Upon our kings and leaders, upon our priests and prophets, upon our fathers and all your people from the days of the kings of Assyria until today. In all that has happened to us, you have been just. You have acted faithfully while we did wrong. Our kings, our leaders, our priests, and our fathers did not follow your law. They did not pay attention to your commands or the warnings you gave them. And even while they were in their kingdom, enjoying your great goodness to them in the spacious and fertile land you gave them, they did not serve you or turn from their evil ways. But see, we are slaves today, slaves in the land that you gave our forefathers so they could eat its fruit and the other good things it produces. Because of our sins, its abundant harvest goes to the kings that you placed over us. They rule over our bodies and our cattle as they please. We are in great distress. And then they say this in verse 38. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing. And our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. Now, let me ask you, have you ever been here? Not, of course, in Jerusalem at this time, but have you ever been to that place where maybe for you is after a, a missions trip, you say, you know what, man, I need to seriously change my life. The scales have come off my eyes. I've seen the joy of the people around me. I've seen something I've never seen before. The scales have come off. Maybe at the end of summer camp, you're like, oh, I remember that moment. 
Maybe, maybe for you, it's been after a, a bad habit for a long time, and you're finally trying to kick alcohol or drugs, and you're like, you know what? I've tried that route. I've tried that route. I've come to the end of it. The scales have come off, and I'm like, God, I need you here. I need you in this space. Maybe it's after a bad relationship. And you realize, man, people warned me about that toxic relationship, but it just it didn't come home until now, and you know, I, I need to turn my life around. Like, I just need a change, a serious, a deep change. Like, have you been in those spaces where you just say, God, the stuff in the past has been a mess, and now what I'm going to ask you to do is kind of help me go forward. Like, I'm, I need you here. I need you. And that, in a way, is what they're doing. They're saying again in verse 38, in view of all this, what we want to do is make a binding agreement. We want to put it in writing. And our Levites, our priests, our leaders, they are fixing their seals to it. So in those moments, all of us can be like, God, I've been through a bunch of junk. I just want to recommit to you now. And I'm going to ask you, we don't always put it in these words, but I'm going to ask you to commit to me. But I want you to know, first of all, that I've had enough, that I see the problem, and that I'm committing to you. I want you to see that. In my own juvenile way, I did that a ton. I, I remember specifically in Barbados when I, where I grew up, um, I was... Uh, 10, 11, 12 years old, and these mem- when I recall these memories, I had um, A-team action figures. Anyone familiar with the A-team? Yeah, a couple good people in the room. Thank you for that. Uh, think like G.I. Joe. That might still be dating me. I don't know. But A-team, B.A. Baracus, Hannibal, a bunch of incredible characters. You can YouTube it now to find out what's going on with someone as old as I am, okay? But just think action figures, and then I had a little, um, they had a van, like a black van, I think they would drive around to save the world in, right? Well, I had them in Barbados, and the deal in growing up there is that we were very much um, inside-outside play all the time. Like, there weren't screens in the windows, there weren't the windows when they were closed, there was no air conditioning. And so play was always, like, inside, mostly outside. And so what happened was sometimes my action figures would jump out the window, right? I mean, it would just be constant in and out. And so I remember specifically on multiple occasions losing, like, B.A. Baracus, losing Hannibal and losing these people who I needed to fulfill the narrative, the plot that I was running right there to save the world with my little A-team van. And here's what I remember as I would walk around the house and I couldn't remember, were they in this tree root? Were they in this shrub area over here? Were they in the mud back here? I don't know, were they under the rabbits thing we had in the back? I can't. And here's what I pray. I'm like, God, if you will help me find Murdoch, I will do whatever you want. I remember that. I remember that and like praying it sincerely and then also thinking like this is kind of stupid, but you know, this might actually work, so why not? You know, why not? Maybe God will work this way. And in my own juvenile way, I was functioning like I also do in my adult way sometimes too. Saying, listen, God, I'm going to make a deal with you. If I, how about this? If I act morally... What if you make sure that you line up my future in the right way for me? Would that be cool? Like, how about this? I'm going to act morally in my relationships and also in my financial commitments. I'm going to make sure that I understand the right way to do things. And I'm going to commit to you. And I'm just going to ask you. I'm going to write down my signature on this. I'm going to affix my seal to it. I'm going to make sure that you know I'm committed. Like, I'm in. I'm into it. Because we make our commitments, and then our commitments make us, right? Except we become, in that world, a self-made Pharisee, following their own rules, becoming just a product of moralism and legalism. It's a dangerous game we play. 
The problem with their commitment, well, it doesn't end here. It goes on. I want you to go with me into chapter 10 because their commitment deepens. Flip over or scroll down or hit the next button on your screen to get to chapter 10 of Nehemiah in verse 28. 